0: Journalist Gilbert Wu, he said that his fellow Chinese Americans were wrestling with the sense that being Chinese itself is actually a crime. The views expressed by speakers in this episode are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Asian Plus podcast or the entities the speakers are associated with. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Asian Plus Podcast. My name is Chen Ling and today we will be continuing our last discussion on historical and contemporary effects of anti-Asian hate. So last time we addressed historical effects Today, we will discuss the more contemporary turn of events when it comes to anti-Asian hate. And I am joined today, again, here with my co-host, Ellie, who is a PhD student at the Rockefeller University. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And so when we hear contemporary Asian hate, um, I don't know what comes to your mind, but the first thing that comes to my mind was actually World War II and the Executive Order 9066. It's extremely famous. I mean,
1: I remember from my history classes as young as freshman year of high school um, about the infamous Executive Order 9066, which is probably one of the most explicit forms of anti-Asian discrimination, specifically against um, the Japanese population that was living in the United States. And so for those of us who don't know, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, which has been quoted as the day that will live in infamy, right? Was an attack by Japan during World War II that really ushered the U.S. into not only a nationwide panic, but also it we joined the fray, right? We joined the war in the end, and so ultimately officials in the United States feared further Japanese attacks or sabotage, especially domestically, and so the long-standing racism against Japanese Americans and immigrants really erupted here, and so. With immense pressure from the public and the House of Representatives, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, also known famously as FDR, signed Executive Order 9066, which really paved the way for the forced removal and incarceration of over 120,000 resident Japanese Americans. And so the speed of the evacuation actually caused many Japanese-owned properties and businesses to bankrupt quickly. I think this is a relatively understated fact when we talk about the Executive Order 9066, we mainly think about you know, the, the forced incarceration. Um, but really, also, there's a lot of economic damage that was really done to the Japanese-American population as a result of this order. Um, and so what I think is a pretty understated fact, really, is that the speed and the evacuation actually caused many Japanese-owned properties and businesses to bankrupt quickly, and so there was a huge economic
0: repercussion Um, of
1: executive order 9066.
0: Yeah, so as a result of this executive order, it was, I believe, $1.3 billion that was lost in property value, which is actually equivalent to $3.5 billion today. And then it was $2.7 billion lost in net income, which is equivalent to $7.4 billion today. Wow, that's so much money that was ultimately lost.
1: And yeah. so, and I remember that these, these internment camps were, were in pretty terrible conditions, right?
0: Yeah, um, most of them were former work camps or fairgrounds, so a lot of these internees were actually forced to live in horse stalls and barns. And then, it was very poor housing, food was actually really terrible too. There was a lack of privacy, there were sanitation issues, and inadequate medical care. And so when these Japanese-Americans finally left the internment camps, they really didn't have anything to return to. Right, because all of their
1: businesses, right? I mean, they ultimately went under.
0: Yeah, and it actually took decades for them to rebuild their families back up. And it wasn't even until the 1980s, which is, I think, like 40 40 years. 40 years, y'all. 40 years later, when the government finally apologized for this injustice and... This federal order actually didn't just affect Japanese Americans. There were other East Asians specifically who were affected because they looked or perceived to have very similar features as Japanese Americans.
1: Right, and I think this goes back to a very contemporary issue that I think can resonate with a lot of our listeners, which is that I would say, and obviously I don't mean to make this huge generalization, but I think a common misconception is that all Asians look similar, yeah. right? Like Koreans, Japanese, Chinese, I think all, a lot of us can kind of get like grouped together into one category when really we're very different, right? Yeah. So Executive Order 9066 was very characteristic of World War II, right? Um, and so when we think about even more contemporary rises of anti-Asian hate, we can kind of think about the Korean War, right, where China decided against the United States.
0: Yeah, and because of China's decisions, many Chinese-American communities in the United States became targets of hatred. Journalist Gilbert Wu, he said that his fellow Chinese-Americans were wrestling with the sense that being Chinese itself is actually a crime. And many of the Chinese businesses were vandalized. And the Chinese immigrants and Americans, they were persecuted because they were often seen or many believed that because they were Chinese, they have to be supporters of communism.
1: Yeah, I think also, I don't know if many of our listeners are familiar with like the Red Scare, but in this country, communism is such a buzzword, right? And so because China is a communist country, I think there is this generalization that people make about... Um, the political ideology or their affiliation, right?
0: Yeah. So the World War II and the Korean War were just two relatively recent examples in history that led to major flare-ups in anti-Asian hate. But this hate actually still happens today, as we can see with the COVID-19 pandemic that sparked another surge in anti-Asian sentiment in the United States because um, this virus was said to have Chinese origins. And then there were many theories surrounding the exact origins of this virus. There oh, are- yeah.
1: There are so many conspiracy theories about the origins of the, um, the virus in the end. One is definitely, I think, I don't know about you, but when I first heard about coronavirus, I heard it in association with the Wuhan wet market. Yeah. Um, and so the Wuhan wet market um, has been considered like ground zero for the coronavirus outbreak. However, even more recently, I think this summer, there was this report or some kind of exploration into the involvement of the, um, I think, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, Mm -hmm. or uh, like one specific institute where they were studying viruses, and then this was actually a lab leak. And so there are a lot of theories, and we don't really know what is what is for sure but i think the fact that the wet market came under such scrutiny really led to a lot of generalizations about the about chinese people right
0: yeah and even the government the u.s government and president former president donald trump himself they were he was blaming this entire pandemic on the chinese saying that china has caused great damage to the united states and to the world And here is a snippet from a Words Matter ad created by Immigrants List
1: Civic Action that shows the language used by former President Donald Trump that may have contributed to anti-Asian
0: hate. As reports of coronavirus have spread across the U.S., so have incidents of anti-Asian violence. It's got all different names. Wuhan. Coronavirus. He uses a racist phrase to describe the coronavirus, the Kung flu. Kung flu. Kung flu. Kung flu. Kung flu. Here at home, Asian-Americans are facing more than just the fear of contracting the virus. They say that hurtful and misleading language from our nation's leaders are now making things worse. People call it the Chinese flu. Wow. So it's like,
1: together, the conspiracy theories which can honestly be said to perhaps originate from certain political leaders or so. And really the government itself really directed blame on on the Chinese, right? And so this began fueling anti-Asian sentiment among the public. To really put this in numbers, though, since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, which was declared right in March 2020 to March 2021, the Stop AAPI Hate National Report documented 6,603 cases of hate which was 145% greater than that reported in 2019.
0: Wow. Yeah, and I held an Instagram poll that asked whether Asian my fellow Asian friends have experienced hate. And of the 174 who voted, 72% of them said that they did experience discrimination. That's so many. How old was your demographic for your Instagram poll? Um, most of them are high school students and a few do go beyond, but they were like, they just started college, so, are all around my age.
1: Wow. Um, that's really heartbreaking, um, and obviously this does a great damage, right, to the Asian American and Pacific Islander community in the end, right? Like, what kind of effects does this have besides making us feel terrible?
0: There's actually research that has shown that the discriminatory tendencies and anti-Asian hate actually contribute to declining physical and mental health within the Asian-American and Pacific Islander community. And so there's this theory, the minority stress theory, that posits that Sigma Prejudice and discrimination create a hostile and stressful social environment, which explains the higher prevalence of mental health disorders among the minority populations.
1: And when you say mental disorders, do you mean like anxiety, depression?
0: Yeah, yeah so according to the National Center for Health Statistics, reports on Anxiety and depression symptoms among Asian Americans have increased sevenfold during the COVID nineteen pandemic compared to twenty
1: nineteen. Wow, that's seven times. That's
0: that's a lot.
1: Um, and also, individuals who reported COVID nineteen related stigma are more likely to report psychological distress. In fact, this number is nineteen point nine percent versus ten point six percent.
0: Yeah, and. Increased experiences of racial discrimination has actually been found to be statistically significant predictors of anxiety and depression symptoms. And racial discrimination not only affects your mental health, but also your physical health. There was also research showing that increased experiences of discrimination is a statistically significant predictor of physical health symptoms and sleep quality.
1: So it's really not just mental health, right? You don't just feel bad. You also experience pathological um, mental challenges, right? Depression, anxiety, but also physical symptoms, it sounds like.
0: Yeah. People who reported more racial microaggressions reported lower sleep quality as well. They slept significantly less on nights after they reported more microaggressions.
1: I think we should define what microaggressions are for our
0: audience members
1: and, and listeners who may not know, but microaggressions are pretty implicit displays of uh, racial discrimination or racism.
0: Can you think of an example? Yeah, I think one that many peers my age might relate to is like a lot of other students would be like, oh, you scored 100 on your math test? It's because you're Asian. Like, it so, makes sense. Get you're that good at math. Time.
1: Mm -hmm. Even though
0: I'm really not good at math,
1: yes. And so based on this evidence available though, I think moving forward from a legislative perspective, the federal government's response to AAPI hate should really target the health, economic, and social aspects for the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities that really faced a huge wave of anti-Asian sentiment as a result of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, well to address the mental health aspect, the mental health effects of racial discrimination, I think culturally appropriate mental health services should be provided to Asian Americans during and following the pandemic. There has been research that showed that Asian American and Pacific Islander communities are generally less likely to want to receive mental health services. And data collected from the National Latino and Asian American study found that Asian Americans have a 17.3% overall lifetime rate of any psychiatric disorder, but they are three times less likely to seek mental health services than their Caucasian counterparts. Why is that? Um, This is due to the, partially due to the cultural pressure, because many Asian Americans receive their sense of value from their ability to take care of their family members and themselves. And so mental health is often a taboo and is seen as like a weakness. Mm. So many Asians and Asian Americans, they try to ignore the symptoms of their perceived weakness. And
1: really just overcome it head on, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And there's also the social pressure, which came from model minority myth, the phenomenon which characterizes Asian Americans as intelligent, industrious, and very successful. Because of this model minority phenomenon, many Asian Americans see mental health issues as something that directly contradicts what they're supposed to fit in as. So um, with these cultural and social pressures, many Asian-Americans refuse to admit to what they see as a weakness and therefore do not end up seeking mental health services.
1: Like therapy, right? Yeah. yeah and I think another thing that would really help um, kind of reduce this the pressures of feeling like you need to be strong enough to deal with your mental health challenges, especially in the Asian-American community, is that um, mental health services should be available in schools and should not require the involvement of parents or guardians. I think a lot of students, and maybe I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, but we feel this pressure from our parents, or at least at least how I felt, um, that I need to be as perfect as I possibly can, and um, going to a therapist really, really shows or demonstrates that I'm not strong enough to deal with school or deal with work or deal with whatever whatever I was um, dealing with. And so by um, removing this parental or guardian involvement, you're really able to seek mental health services without the pressure from family members, for example. And so by ensuring anonymity of the individual seeking help through available mental health services, we are able to kind of reduce the this pressure um, from the model minority phenomenon, for example.
0: Yeah. and. In addition to mental health services, I think community-based outreach programs is very they are very crucial as well and should be made available to Asian American communities that are affected disproportionately affected by the racism. So, there is one that we mentioned earlier which is Stop API Hate. It's a coalition that targets API hate incidents. They offer many mental health resources such as online counseling programs they also offer a mental health library and guidance on how educators, parents, and caregivers can communicate with their children about the COVID-19-related racism. And this organization also provides educational materials that convey safety tips for those experiencing or witnessing hate. They also track incidences of the hate and discrimination, and they aggregate reports on such hate. That's awesome
1: that this coalition exists. It's definitely one of the big ones. Another. Big one um, that really helps to attenuate the the effects of AAPI hate, especially on the AAPI community, is Chinese for affirmative action. And so this organization works specifically with elected officials and policymakers to advance and propose specific legislative and administrative efforts to positively impact the AAPI immigrants in San Francisco, California. And so this is a very a more local organization. And in fact, they recently had Governor Gavin Newsom signed the API equity budget plan which helps distribute funds directly to community-based programs that provide services to help victims of hate crimes and help hate crime prevention services and so specifically just to give off some numbers 10 million dollars of the budget has been allocated for stop aapi hate one of the coalitions we mentioned earlier Another 10 million dollars has been designated to the creation of a corps for Asian speaking Asian language speaking interpreters who would work in state departments to assist immigrants and another 10 million dollars has been used to create an office of racial equity that works with state agencies to develop racial equity plans and identify
0: areas of reforms to help all communities of color. Yeah, and those are just for the Asian population in general, but there's also another organization called the Red Canary Song, which is a grassroots collective of Asian and migrant sex workers who fight for political representation and labor rights for the people. So this one is more specifically for the Asian women, the Asian women female sex workers. So they provide resources, mutual aid, and an empowering community that stands in solidarity with the Asian sex workers. And this organization is actually located in Flushing, Queens, right here in New York City. So they offer resources to educate the public about the migrant sex workers, share their stories, debunk myths, and illustrate the harm that current laws inflict on these workers. Red Canary Song is also continuing to work on a mobile health ban project which provides medical care as an alternative to policing in an attempt to combat the detrimental effects of human trafficking. Additionally, they are in coalition with other organizations across New York City to decriminalize sex work through the Stop Violence in the Sex Trades Act, which is a bill introduced back in 2019 to decriminalize buying and selling of sex between consenting adults. And so I just want to clarify what she said, Chengling.
1: like this, this Red Canary song is trying to create an alternative to policing, which I think is a very hot topic in light of the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, or law enforcement reform. And so this mobile health van is kind of like a more social, uh, more social um, response, right, to the negative
0: effects of of human trafficking yeah yeah and so the COVID-19 hate crimes we witnessed today there are evidences of another flare-up of the long-standing racial bias against the AAPI community and it correlates with their declining health and so to combat this surge in anti-asian violence congress actually passed the COVID-19 hate crimes act S937 on May 20th 2021 and we will actually be discussing this bill in the next episode See you later. See you later. (coughs) You go first. So stay tuned for the next
1: episode. Talk to you guys then.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode and we would love to hear from you. If you have any questions and comments, or if you would like to be a guest speaker in our future episodes, please feel free to email us at asianplus.podcast at gmail.com. That is asian. P-L-U-S dot podcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Asian Plus Podcast to hear more about our future updates. Thank you for supporting us.